Hey, Grace. Yeah, David? Do you want to go back? Back where? Back to the best. Back to the best? Back to the best. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Back to the Best. I'm David. And I'm Grace, and this is our podcast where we talk about all the best things from the 90s to the 2000s, which is also known as the best times. To all our first-time listeners, welcome. To all our former besties returning, welcome back. Welcome back. Guys, welcome back to Back to the Best. We have another amazing episode for you today, and we are very, very excited. If you, for some reason, clicked on this without reading the description, or without- I was just thinking that, that people can totally see who it is already. We just love a reveal. We love a reveal. Um, if you follow us on Instagram, you probably saw the video we put up yesterday. If you, you guys. If you read, you probably read the title or the description. But- Dee Dee Pickles is, is on our podcast today. What? We teased it last week. We said you'd recognize the voice. Yes. I mean, who didn't watch Rugrats growing up? Even if you didn't watch it, you have heard of the Rugrats. Oh, I actually do not know a single person that hasn't seen it. I know a couple people who weren't allowed to watch it because their parents were afraid of Angelica's influence on them. Wait. <laughs> Wait. I wish I was making this up. Wait a minute. <laughs> Okay, that needs to be a whole other episode. We need to get those people on. We will disguise their names if they want, but we need to talk about this. We get one of those super dramatic voice changers yes. to hide their identity. Oh my gosh, their parents were afraid of Angelica's influence. That's a first. I have never heard that. There's like there's a couple people I know. I won't wow. say their I won't I won't reveal their names. We love a good reveal, but I know. We also hey, have if to you're, hide the identities, you know? Oh, of course. And if you're listening and that is you and you want to talk to us about it, just slide into the DMs. Oh my we God, we would love- hide your name. We will send you a Zoom link and get you on our show ASAP. Oh, without a doubt. We would love to uncover this issue. Is it an issue? I don't know. This Angelica drama. We got to find the voice of Angelica next. I know. And we got to tell her, hey, listen- <laughs> You kept kids from Rugrats. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yes, we have Melanie Chardoff on today. She was the voice of Dee Dee Pickles. For our demographic, for our normal listeners, we know we have so many Nickelodeon fans, so you all know her as Dee Dee Pickles. But back in the 80s and before, she was in so many things. She was in some episodes of Seinfeld. She was in an episode of one of our favorites, Unfabulous. Oh, love Unfabulous. She was in an episode of Touched by an Angel, which... My mom loved that show, and I used to watch it with her. That was a good show. I never watched that one. It was, it was really good. There was a lot of angels. Ah. Uh, yeah, and people getting touched by them. Wow. Mm-hmm. I know. That's Not crazy. appropriately. Okay. <laughs> Moving anyway, right along. <laughs> um, she also voiced Grandma Minka in Rugrats, who I loved the grandparents in that right. show. Wasn't it Boris? Was he the grandpa? I, Why does that name stand that out? Sounds good to me. She did not voice him, but either way, no. she is amazing. She slips into a few. Mo- There's a few moments where she slips into Dee Dee's voice. Oh my God! Throughout the episode, so listen closely for those. 
Yeah, we won't give too much away because you're about yeah. to listen to the interview. But I'm trying yes. to think, before we get into it, is there any... There is. I was about to say, is there any 90s to 2000s news? But there is. As of actually 10 minutes ago, I saw on Deadline that they are making I Know What You Did Last Summer into a show that's going to be on Amazon. Oh! Wasn't there a lot of those movies? So there's I Know What You Did Last Summer, and then I Still Know What You Did Last Summer that still had two of the main four from the first movie. And then there's I Always Know What You Did Last Summer, and I'm not going to lie, I never saw it because I don't think it's connected to the other two movies. Okay. Okay. That's a fair I, enough I, reason. I, I didn't see it. I hate, I hate you guys. <laughs> you guys, I hate, I hate a sequel whenever it has nothing to do with the originals. I kind of do as well. Call it something else. Call it something else. Stand out. Do your own thing. Yeah. It just says it's going to be a modern take on the hit 1997 film. I know what you did last summer. Uh, <laughs> I can't hear that without singing that. God, if the, do you think, uh, I mean, it was just announced 10 minutes ago, so there's actually like no info on it, but if they just get any of those four to make a cameo, I mean, I know like some of them um, were murdered in the movie, but like they could come mm. back as, you know, different It could people. be a flashback scene. They could be a ghost. Yeah. There Sarah, are ways to bring people back that have died in the show. I mean, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Freddie Prince Jr., they're still married, so they're just one call to get them in. Ugh. And come on, what's everybody doing? Nobody's doing anything. Right? Right. Well, I'm kind of excited to see it. I'm excited. I, I think that every movie should be made into a show. Every single one. <laughs> Harry Potter, the show. I, I have, I, <sighs> this is something I've thought about extensively. I think that there 100% needs to be a Harry Potter show. It'll be seven seasons. Each season will be a year at Hogwarts. And it could be about brand new students or something like at Hogwarts and you go through each year. So there's my question. How many years is Hogwarts like high school that has four years and then you graduate? Grace, did you not watch Harry Potter? There's seven. I know. Okay. So it, well, cause for me growing up, we had elementary school, then middle school, then high school. We went to different schools. Oh yeah. They're, I guess you're right. I never really thought about it. They're, they're all in one. The wizards are so different than us muggles. Oh, my God. Not that I, we're muggles. I know. We're, we're wizards. No, I've, I've seen everyone a million times, but I guess, yeah, you, they were there. You know what? Maybe it's like Catholic school. <laughs> Isn't Catholic school like you go kindergarten through eighth grade and then you go to high school? Oh, that sounds right. Maybe it's just Catholic school. Catholic wizard school. <laughs> Coming to Netflix 2022. Harry Potter and the Catholic wizard school. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, you guys, we're going to stop blabbing. Because all we do is blab. Say it again. <laughs> blab. We're going we to get into this interview. You'll hear it. And then <laughs> lucky you guys, we'll be right back after the interview to discuss. <laughs> We never, we'll never leave. We'll always be here. Let's get into it. Here is our interview with the one and only Melanie Chardoff. Oh, oh no. there you are. Hi. Hello. Hello. I'm sorry it's taken me so long to get with you, but I'm very happy to be here now. Oh my gosh, you're oh, totally fine. You, we, we're in no rush. Oh, okay, good. That's an amazing bookshelf. Wow, yeah. Oh, 
Thank you. I um, am so jealous. Look at how I that have, just looks great. I have all these plays. Every play I've ever done is up there somewhere. And all my books, you know, Stella Adler books. I studied with Stella Adler years ago. You probably don't even know who that is. But anyway, um, yeah, I have all my theater books here. I love that. Are you a big That's, reader yourself? Um, these days I'm reading other women's books because I'm in a new field right now. I've reinvented myself at like the 12th time. So um, yeah, I'm reading a lot of other memoirs and friends of mine uh, who've written comedy memoirs and reading a lot of those. So um, there's a lot to read. And there's a lot yeah. of time to read. There's a lot of time. To read. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, how has your quarantine been overall? Well, it's been great because <clears throat> I have a long distance visit with friends every week. Long distance meaning I have chairs at opposite ends of the lawn and I can have like, you know, 15, 20 people in my yard all spread out. Oh, nice. Yeah, so aside from Zooms, I do have that and we order out food and um, it's almost like normal life. You know? that's, oh, that's really nice. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, I feel like you just gotta find your, your way to get through it. And being outside seems to still be okay at a distance. Yeah, with masks until everybody's vapors settle. And once yeah. everybody's, then we, we unmask. And, um, but I feel fortunate. I have a lot of girlfriends that live on their own. So I stay in touch with them and invite them over. I, you know, fell in love for the first time and got married a few years ago. So I live with him. So it's just heaven. Oh, um, congratulations. Yeah, I say that in one of my poems. It's like Adam and Eve in heaven. You know, we're just really happy together oh that's, Aww, that's so great, great. especially in these times i have really been feeling for friends of mine that also live alone oh I'm sure. because you know we're all stuck at home but if you are just by yourself that has got to be a bit tougher than having at least a roommate or a buddy or anybody close by but people have been doing quarantine pods with yeah. friends so i think maybe that is helpful we have that too and um you know, but we have to check other people. When we meet people with other pods, we have to like check it out. And yeah. Oh, well, we're glad that you're doing well and that everybody's healthy and okay. Yeah, we are. And we've all gotten very good at the Zooms. Thank God for <laughs> Zoom. I mean, I, I'm not very technically expert, but I'm better than I used to be. I've learned something this, this season, so. Yeah. We would love to ask you a bit about your career and how you got started performing. Was it something that you grew up loving or how did you get involved? Well, my father was a big fan of television comedians. And so in order to get his attention, I crawled into the television set through the tubes and the wires in the back to try to get in inside the screen. And I, I got burned and I couldn't fit. So I realized I was gonna have to get on that screen another way. So I, um, Melanie, that needs to be in your book. Oh, <laughs> that was such a great I, opening line. I forgot. Um, and so I, first I was on Connecticut Bandstand, which is a dance show like American Bandstand only in Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. And I, you know, I danced, uh, the, the Bop and the Watusi and all the dances that were in fashion back then. Then I, uh, moved to New York. And I was in college on Long Island, which gave me access to New York City. So I auditioned for a small part on soap opera on ABC and I got that. And meantime in the summer, because my college was so near New York City, I could get into summer stock and do all these musicals and get my equity card. It's a whole different business uh, uh, on the East Coast. And um, 
and I was on All My Children and One Life to Live, which were on ABC. I think they're gone now. Search for Tomorrow, The Doctors. Um, but mostly I was attracted to lighter shows, lighter-hearted shows. And so I started doing stand-up. I was in Broadway plays doing Moliere, but then after that I'd go and I'd be a stand-up at one of the improv clubs or Catch a Rising Star. And um, I just loved getting um, an experience with people. If I could make people laugh or cry, it made me feel good. I just felt great about it. I about creating a, a separate reality and having people imagine themselves in my imagined reality with me. And that's what I'm doing with my writing now um, because I'm not in any big plays or television shows, but I'm hoping to have people experience things as a writer. Oh yeah. So we'll see how that goes. That's so great. How, I've always wondered, how long did it take you to write a book? You know, David, I didn't just sit down and write the book. I've been performing these stories in shows for like the last five years. And I thought it was a stage play that I was writing perhaps a musical. I thought perhaps I was writing a stand-up act. I didn't know what it was. And then a literary agent saw me performing at the Comedy Central Sit and Spin show. And she said, you are writing a book. And she was right. I was writing a book, a Kindle, and an Audible, which are going to be up on Amazon very soon for pre-sale. Okay. And so that was a way to not have to spend so much energy driving around and performing in all these different cities, but just uh, letting my words do the talking. And my Audible, I'm performing the stories. I sing in the book. I do my, you know, I do my mother, who is the original Dee Dee Pickles, by the way. And um, I do my father. I do various weird characters from my life as well. So, so you based you based Dee Dee off of your mother? I did because the description of Dee Dee, it sounded like they were describing my mother. She was very anxious and a uh, proper character. Always yeah. suppressing her anxiety. She's trying to be a good mother, but she's kind of nuts under the <laughs> under the scenes, under this behind the scenes. And that's what my mom is still like, she's 96 in Connecticut. Aww. And um, yeah, she, so I bought her a condo with the money. And so she never sued me. I was really- Oh good, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, mom, I'll get you a condo. You let me keep doing Dee Dee as you. <laughs> yeah, I think my mother then got very flattered by the impersonation. Aww. She saw it as a sincere form of flattery rather, rather than ridicule. Because well, oh, I mean, also everybody loved Dee Dee so much that you know I shared all the fan mail as if it was for her. Oh, I was gonna sweet. say, what a role to have based off of you. We both grew up loving the Rugrats, watched it, I mean, every day pretty much. Countless I had the times. orange VHS tapes of it, yeah. and everything. Oh, that's so nice. You know, I have Dee Dee dolls, uh, I had an action figure made of me uh, back in the day, you know, like when we first started. And I give that to all my friends that are having having babies, all my young Aww. friends are having babies because they grew up with, with Dee Dee and it gives them confidence as young mothers, you know, that they can maybe do a better job than Dee Dee did. Dee Dee was constantly losing her children. I mean, if she didn't lose <laughs> her children, there'd be no show. That's true. <laughs> sort of out of it, you know, a bit out of it, but very the loving. The kids could not get up to what they did if Dee Dee knew where they were. There'd be no show. Yeah. Stu and I were asleep at the wheel. <laughs> um, so how did you make the transition to voiceover? Was it a transition or was it just an audition that popped up? It was just an audition, uh, Grace. I um, had never done animation before. 
And I went in and got called. I went in once and I just did my mom and it seemed to be perfect. And then I got called back with the gentleman that played Stu, who I had been on other shows with, wonderful Jack Riley. And um, we just improvised. There was a moment when uh, they were arguing and Dee Dee really has to lose her cool. So I was being very careful and cautious and all that. And then I just sort of went crazy. <laughs> and I think that's how I got the job. Then they called me from New York and asked if I would audition on the phone for the role of Minka, who was Dee Dee's mother oh, from the mm -hmm. country. And Love I did that on the phone and, and I was doing, doing that too, which was a real joy because I hadn't had my grandparents much past my seventh or eighth year. Didn't remember them very mm -hmm. well vividly. I could smell them, but I couldn't really see them. And uh, when they showed me the picture of Minka, I said, well, that's what my, both my grandmothers were those sort of portly Russian bun, bun gray haired, uh, elastic stockings, you know, thick old lady shoe kind of people. So then I went to the Fairfax district here, which was very much the Jewish population's favorite hangout and hung out <laughs> with a bunch of deli owners and um, bookstore owners. And I got the flavor back of a generic old country Jewish woman. And, you know, they just kept changing the character. They said, make her more Jewish, make her less Jewish, make her sound more like Dee Dee, make her sound less like that character morphed every year. It became somebody else's grandmother. Oh, really? <laughs> but it was a, just a joy to do. And then of course I played Reptar's wife in Reptar on Ice, which was a musical. So that was a joy as well. Wait, was it, so it was a live like ice skating show? In the show, within the show. It was a show within the show. And within okay. the show, within the show, I was married to the Reptar, skating Reptar. Okay. Oh. We were on skates and I was singing about what it's like when a lizard takes a wife, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Classic. I, I'm surprised you don't remember it. I'm it's coming back. <laughs> it is coming back, actually. And I think as far as Grandma Minka, I will say you nailed it. My, my dad is Jewish and I remember him. We would watch Rugrats all the time and he would be like, oh, that sounds like my bubby or it would remind him of grandmothers or aunts that he had in his life growing up. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. It brought back some old memories. So could you walk us through like doing a typical episode of Rugrats or any animated show? What would that look like for you? Well, for us, we would get the scripts and we would go into the booth. Uh, there was no drawings except of what our characters looked like. Uh, as opposed to now when you have, the drawings were all made and you have to fit into it. It was drawn to our voices and our personalities. Um, so I go into the booth with a script. I usually work with Stu Pickles, uh, Jack Riley, and Michael Bell, who played Jack, uh, Stu's brother. Um, and we would have our dialogues and there'd be a whole bunch of people in the booth writing, us down, writing down you know, our facial expressions, looking at our faces, sketching us so that when our characters spoke, they began to really look like us. They oh, used wow. the, like the muscles in my mouth and face began okay. to look like the character began to look more and more like me. As a matter of fact, over the years, she got a higher forehead like mine and my hair got red and curly like hers. So it was like we were merging. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> now I'm exactly lighter. I look exactly like her, right? Exactly. <laughs> so That's um, so cool. It was wonderful. And we'd go into... Uh, different areas of the animation studios, which were different building, and we'd see ourselves kind of 
half as the character, half as ourselves. And we'd see um, animators looking in the mirror, imitating the way we spoke to try to get the muscles right. Wow. wow. I, I, had, I had never thought about that side of it at all, that they would maybe try to incorporate your facial expressions to the character, the animated character. Yes, and so all the all the characters were driven. They were drawn really extremely. You know, they didn't look like human characters, but they did have a kind of an emotionality that was familiar and human-like because it came from us. Was there wow. was there any? Were they open to any improvising when you guys were recording, or was it mainly stick to the script? It was stick to the script, and then they'd have Walla. Do you know what Walla is? I don't mm -hmm. think so. Walla is the chatter that characters do after the lines are over, like when they're in a crowd or they're having an argument or walking off stage. So in the wallow, we would improvise so they get a sense of our senses of humor. Oh, so okay. talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. And we would fade out walking off. And we okay. love that in the Rugrats movie, we did a lot of walla. So a lot of times they hire extras to be walla who are at some big, you know, a cartoon about a political rally or something. They're, Oh, come on, no, you know, they're doing, uh, make, make, they're writing themselves actually, but they don't get paid for that. They just get paid for the hour to do voila. Oh, wow. That is interesting. Now it may be changing now. I just did a cartoon for the Cartoon Network called OKKO OK uh, for a couple, last year or the year before. And it was all pre-drawn. And okay. so I had to fit my line into the four seconds that the drawing did the action. Oh, oh. was that difficult? Well, I got the hang of it. It's very technical. Mm -hmm. You know, it's mm -hmm. not as alive and improvisational as uh, Rugrats was for us. Because there was a way to work off of each other's sounds. And in this booth with all of us trying to fit into the pictures of the characters, <clears throat> it's a certain amount of flexibility and adaptability. Uh -huh. But not like it, it was. I was spoiled. Rugrats was really a treasure artistically and emotionally. And in terms of its success, I had no idea it would run for such a long time. Still runs. Yeah. I, st I still get checks. It's kind of wonderful. It had oh my such God. a long run. Yeah. I remember when it hit, what was it, 10 years and they had the big 10 years as baby special. Yes. And then we just did a 25th anniversary special like five years ago. So, I mean, the people have been interested and they have a soft spot, spot in their hearts for the Rugrats. You know, there's mm -hmm. like a, a tender feeling of nurturing and learning and yeah. a certain demographic of hipness. There was a certain, we weren't sort of age appropriate. We were sort of for all the ages because um, the adults remember it as well as their kids did. Oh, oh definitely. Yeah, when I... We, we used to gather around in my family room and have what we call, we made up the word, I think we called them patch parties and we would just get our sleeping bags. And my mom would get out an orange VHS tape and she would pop in Rugrats. And that was, I mean, she would say it would just run so much that your voices were just always in her head. Right. She always heard it throughout our house. So it definitely does have a soft spot. Oh, isn't that wonderful? It's so nice to have been part of people's lives so intimately. Mm -hmm. I was talking to my mom last night and I don't know why I have just such this clear memory. I was six and I went into my mom's room and she was putting on makeup and I was like, what are you doing? And she was surprising us and taking us to see the Rugrats movie. And I remember she fell asleep during the birth of Dill oh. Pickles and I like yelled at her and I was like, you missed Dill being born. <laughs> How could she? Oh. Oh. Well, at least she took you. 
Oh my gosh, yeah. That was a huge moment yeah. as well when Dill was born because it was a whole new character. Yeah, I know. I know. And I had to give birth to it. And although I've never had a baby physically, I felt like I did because I had to do the Lamaze breathing. Mm. <laughs> oh my gosh. For hours. I was lightheaded. I was hyperventilating. But oh, it, no. what it takes mm. to have an, art, an animated baby, that's what it takes. <laughs> And I had cartoon stretch marks on my body. And, <laughs> no, not really. Now, whenever they switched and did the Rugrats all grown up, did that change how you did the character at all? Yes, yes. Well, first of all, Dee Dee had gray hair, a grayer hair, and had a big, like, tummy. And um, all of our voices had to go about an octave lower. So mm. instead of talking up here, I talked down here. It was like a more mature and a little grouchier. So yes, it was a big adaptation. I don't know if that was as successful as Rugrats though. I don't think it was. No, I remember, I, I loved it because I just loved Rugrats, but it was different because yeah. you were just, you, you know, you were, it was a comfort place. You were used to what you, would, what you would expect and what would come out from an episode of Rugrats. Right. And then they were older. So the audience kind of had to transform with them and it was like a, sometimes a bit of a new show. It had a great theme song though. I loved the theme song. How did it go? It was like, all grown up, I really want to shout it out. All grown up, I want the world to know. <laughs> I will never forget it. I loved it. Cool. I love the happy song, which was from the original Rag Rugrats, uh, which Mark Mothersbaugh wrote. Do you remember it? It's the happy, happy. It's the baby saying it. It's the happy, 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 happy song. It's the happy, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy, happy, happy song. It's the happy, happy song. It's just happy song all the way through. And it was so upbeat and charming and sweet. I just loved it. They did oh. have fun songs because I remember the one where it was like, Cynthia is a really great dancer. Oh, dancer, Cynthia. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Angelica. Yeah. You know, my doll, my, my, my Rugrats doll, um, Dee Dee looks like Cynthia. I mean, you know, it's scrawny and oh, I'll show you. I'll show, I don't know if they sell them anymore, but they may start selling them again if the show goes on again. She's just kind of like a Cynthia doll. Dee Dee had the craziest hair. I love it. I know. I can't get my hair like that. I tried to do it today. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to get like a cone or something. Exactly. It's like a cone head kind of a thing. But yeah. once, um, for a gag at, at Universal City in Florida, uh, they have a Nickelodeon kind of theme park there. Mm -hmm. And they flew us down, uh, Jack Riley and myself, and they dressed us up as these characters and had us come out and sing a song. And oh my gosh. And I was coming and they had little children in the audience and I had all these little children hanging out of my skirt following me. They didn't want to go back to their mothers. Oh. I alienated their affections. It was really <laughs> like, and the mother was saying, now Charlie, we have to go home now. And, and you're like, no, I want to be with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, because there she was in person. I know, I know. That's a dream. <laughs> I know, I know. It was, it was fun and we got paid well to become our cartoon selves. Oh, great. That's always good. <laughs> nice little perk. Yeah. Yeah. Was it fun for you as the show is getting super successful to say the voice to people and have them realize that you were Dee Dee? Well, I got a, li I got a little more like judicious about it because I was getting exhausted from being people's voicemails and their birthday songs and their they're like proposals to their wives. People ask wow. me proposals to the wives. And oh my goodness. I a little crazy. And I never charge for it, but I just sort of stopped doing it. 
but we were in Morocco last year and my husband was in a cafe at night with some gentleman and he was from America and he just traveled all over the world stopping in Morocco on his way home. And uh, he asked about my husband being married. My, my husband said, yeah, he'd recently married Dee Dee Pickles. And the man said, what? He says, well, my wife is best known, you know, as Dee Dee Pickles. And he went, my God, you go to China, you go to like uh, Taiwan, you go to Morocco and you're sitting in a cafe and you meet Dee Dee Pickles' husband. Uh <laughs> <laughs> the likelihood of something like that. And that for him, that was like the most miraculous. He wanted my husband's autograph. Oh my, oh my God. Gosh. Dee's husband's autograph. That's so funny. So yeah, it has been kind of fun, the places that it's followed me. Yeah, that just goes to show the impact that Rugrats has. I know. All over the world. I well, because we were reading as well, it's, I think SpongeBob is the show that passed it, but it's the second longest running Nicktoon show, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is amazing. I know. I feel very fortunate to have been part of that era. And then, so there is going to be a reboot. Did it get pushed back because of COVID? I, I, no, I think they've been just making decisions. The stories are gonna be very different. They're gonna be more focused on the kids. Um, one of the characters is now a lesbian. Oh. Uh, some of the characters are uh, of different minority, ethnic minorities now. We had some before, now we're gonna have more. So it's gonna be a much more, I'd say liberally intended show, much more um, dispersed. Okay. I love that. So, and I don't think the adults are going to be playing as big a role as they did in the first seasons when they were, in, when they were, you know, I think those, the kids are still going to be infants, but it'll be more conversations amongst them than with the parents involved. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's like a non-disclosure agreement. So. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't break it. <laughs> I, I be a part of it. I just know what the last one was like, and I sure like being part of that one. Yeah. Now, whenever you started Rugrats, you were also still doing Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Yes. What was being on that like and how was that basically being on two shows at once? Well, I had a, you know, I drove between them. They would uh, try to work it out so that I could do both in a day if I had to. My oh, wow. commitment to Rugrats sometimes was just an hour, you know, mm. but my commitment to Parker Lewis because they had so many special effects involving my character, Miss Musso. Those, out, those were like 16 hour days. I mean, wow. now, it was like doing a live cartoon, Parker Lewis, mm -hmm. because it was just smoke coming out, the last breaking. I mean, there were all these phenomena happening amongst the characters because it was a very animated like show. A lot of fast moves, switch watches, you know, there was just a lot of, they animated us basically. Yeah. Was that fun? Oh, it was one of my favorite shows I ever did. Doing the two at a time was, it was ecstasy for an actor, you know? Oh, um, yeah. On, on one role, uh, as Miss Musso, I was a hard-hearted, cold, unmarried, desperate woman. <laughs> and then on the other, I was a nurturing mother, happily married, you know, with children. So it was, they were such good foils. So opposites, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that, it felt really, really wonderful. I felt like after sometimes you play one part of yourself for a role, but then you feel underused. You feel like, oh, mm -hmm. there's so much more of you. So I got to use more of myself doing it too. Yeah, I can, I can imagine, especially with a, such a long running show like Rugrats that you're kind of stuck in that character for so long that you'd want to branch out and do something else. Yeah, and um, the Parker Lewis only ran for three years. 
so it didn't really clutter you know my schedule very very badly and i love playing miss musa because i love the clothes and the yeah style, and these tight little suits that they gave me and they made my hair really big and you know i had to go in at like 4 30 in the morning i'd I'd come in at 4.30 in the morning and fall asleep in the chair, in the hair chair. Oh my gosh. And I'd wake up like an hour and a half later and I'd be like gorgeous. Ready to go. Wow. Yeah, it was like uh, great. And then I'd wake up, uh, you know, having my breakfast in the chair. And then um, it was really fun. The only thing that was challenging was wearing the spike heels that were like a character. Sometimes you'd see the whole, this shoes in the hallway. Sometimes they were smoking, you know? They were smoking. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it, that was a joy, and I loved the kids on the show. I was only the, the only woman on the show, so of course I got a lot of attention from the boys. <laughs> out with them, and they were great kids, such talented kids. Corin Nemec, gifted actor, and um, what can I say? It was a lark, you know. And I also did a lot of homework because I wanted to make myself convincing people. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of YouTube's up of excerpts from uh, Miss Musso and Parker Lewis. Uh, because they were just so comical. I got to make all these funny faces really tight to the camera, like, you know, like really <laughs> scary. And uh, I had no vanity in that part at all. Well, that sounds like perfect for you too, since you did also sketch comedy and stand up, then going to that seems like it would be a perfect transition. Yes. And then I got to do Wise Guy, I think right after Parker Lewis. Wise Guy was a, you know, a, a thriller, a detective drama. And I got to play uh, Jonathan Banks' mistress. I don't know if you know Jonathan Banks from Breaking Bad. He was, uh, you know, like a killer on uh, Breaking Bad and a uh, terrific actor. I think he finally won a, an Emmy a, a few years ago for Breaking Bad. And now he's in Better Call Saul. And he's um, just a terrific, I'm happy to see him working. He's a terrific actor. Oh, and Breaking so, Bad is such a phenomenal show. Really? Amazing. Uh, it was too violent for me at first, but then it was so well written that I was willing to put up with it. Yeah, I felt the same way. I did have trouble with it at first, but Brian Cranston is so amazing. And the storyline just kept me hooked. So I got over it. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Sopranos was wonderful before that, of course. And Sopranos was like, it could have been shot in my hometown because I'm from the, uh, the, the, uh, the other side of the tracks in New Haven, Connecticut. Okay. And a lot of those kind of guys in the town, a lot of Italian wannabe guys you know, with taps on their shoes, walking tall, you know, down the street. Yeah. I think they own the Knights of Columbus, uh, which has been toppled now because Columbus Day has become a, a day of horror. Now it's yeah. People's Day, which I was very happy to celebrate yesterday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it, Sopranos was like being in my hometown. They even talk the same, very, uh, you know, street, not educated, that kind of, you know. <laughs> So I love Sopranos. Wait, now, so when did you move from there to LA? Oh, I was um, asked by my agents at William Morris to put together some of my comedy songs that I write and uh, some of my stand-up, some of my characters and go on at the New York Improv because they were looking for uh, to do a new Laugh-In. I don't know if you remember Laugh-In way before your time with Goldie Hawn. And love, okay. Love Goldie Hawn. Do a new version with the comedians of, of the, that era. So I put on my uh, my my gown. I wore a gown when I did stand up. You know, I was trying to be really feminine in a lineup of men. 
And uh, I sang some of my comedy songs, which are kind of soubrette little operas and things about, mostly about women in peril. And um, I didn't get laughed then, but there was a lot of interest in me because of this thing I was doing. And I kept doing it more and more often. And I got scouted and then I was asked to uh, a screen test for Fridays. And I uh, went through all kinds of rigorous improvisations and uh, monologues and did characters and, and I didn't get it. And I was very depressed. You know, I had gone into a really maudlin depression. I was overeating, I was smoking pot, forgive me. And then they called me like a week later and said, they fired the other woman who is the wife of an ABC executive. Wow. Oh, wow. And um, brought me in. So I came in late, you know, to it. They were already gelling. All their characters were already developing. And I came in late and it took a while for me to really fit into the cast, but they made me the newscaster. So I did have my little bit to do. And as years rolled on, I developed a lot of cat characters like, you know, Battle Boy and his sister. I don't know if you ever saw Fridays. I saw some clips of it. Yeah, yeah, it's before your time also. My God, everything's before your time. <laughs> My whole life, except for this moment, is before your time. <laughs> so um, so that's how, what got me started. I also did some guest stars, like on Wonder Woman before that. And okay. Other little guest star things, and like I was on um, Super Mario Brothers. But I kept going back and forth to New York City because that's where I felt most comfortable. I had a little apartment in New York and a little apartment here. And I would go back and forth, pilot season, I would always come out here. And then I just uh, started to develop a name after I did Fridays and there was more interest. And that's how I got Seinfeld. They saw me on, oh, they saw me yeah. in a musical. They saw me in a musical uh, in Hollywood called uh, March of the Falsettos. And they hired me for, to play the therapist on the Bob Newhart show. Um, oh, wow. The second Bob Newhart show. Uh, oh, that's wow. so cool. I love Bob Newhart. I did too. It was really a fun show. I got to be everyone's therapist, Peter Scolari, Julia Duffy, uh, Bob Newhart, Tom. Wow. All the greats of those days. Wow. That's so great to have done, had so many different experiences throughout your career. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm so lucky. I, I still do theater when I can, of course, right now. Yeah. Yeah. Just can't. I'm I was doing readings at the library of Eugene Pack's plays. I don't know if you've heard of him, but you will. He writes extremely funny um, one-act plays for okay. mature characters. And I've done them with all kinds of wonderful actors. And uh, we do them at like public libraries around town to kind of get an audience feel. And uh, anyway, I hope to do more of those in the future. They're just really- yeah. Do they have, are they still doing them over Zoom or at all? Or they just haven't done them yet? Um, they're doing them on audio Zoom. For, okay. It's um, a benefit for the Actors Fund. So oh, you, that's okay. a great idea. You can hear a lot of wonderful people. Lainey Kazan is in some of them. And um, people you know from television, you know, are in a lot of them. If you know their voices from television. Yeah. Oh, nice. And where, where can we, where is that? Is there like a website that you can find it? I think the Actors Fund. Go to theactorsfund.com, which is a part of um, all of our heritage. We all should donate to the Actors Fund because we may be one of those out-of-work actors, you know, in a home someday. And I think if you go there, and if I actually find something, I'll send it over to you. I just don't know in my head if it has a separate website. I think it's just go to the Actors Fund and you'll find out about it. Okay, good. I'm great that they're, it's great that they're finding a way to still do it because things have just been so hard. You cannot do anything in person. Yeah. 
they're finding ways to um, kind of uh, surpass the, the Zoom limitations now. Yeah. yeah. People were making faces and being too broad, but because you're on mic and camera now, you're realizing you can be just as subtle as you would be in any naturalistic piece. And if the other person is responding to you viscerally, mm -hmm. then it's more in the moment. Yeah. So I actually teach um, Zoomogenics, teaching actors and other personalities to be more comfortable how to work the lens. You know, like I think Stephen Colbert has a video down here, but he's really relating to you a little light at the top of his screen to make no. it really talking to you. It really warms, warms him up. So does it look like I'm looking at you guys right now? It does. Yeah, it does. It looks like you're yeah. looking right at us. Yeah. So um, I always advise my students that instead of looking down at where their screen is to see the other person's face, imagine the other person's face in your mind's eye and look up near that light like it's a human face. Look from one eye to the other, look at the chin. Anyway, oh. your, your audience. David, we have to remember to do that. I know. <laughs> it really makes for intimacy and contact. Yeah, that's a really great point because I feel like we will look because you think you're looking at the person, but you're not no, because you, you find them the camera, here. Until they put the camera in the middle of the screen for us all, in the middle yeah. of your iPhone, your iPad, your computer screen, we're going to be looking cockeyed. Yeah. Um, but I teach, I have a website called charismatizing.com where people can get in touch. And I work one-on-one -on -one with clients all over the world on making their Zoom presentations more powerful. Mm. How to work it, where to position the camera so you look powerful rather than scared and weak, and where to position your eyes so it looks like you're really talking to somebody. Yeah, I just forgot already. We want to see each other. So it's, it's yeah, especially this day. I just put your Zoom window to the very top of my screen. I, I, I can look over here for David, which is a little closer to the camera. But mm -hmm. to you, Grace, I have to look way down here. So yeah. Sense of me connecting with you as well. Because I wonder if there's a way to move people on Zoom. I don't know if there is. I think because my I have three screens. Well, you could do gallery maybe. Yeah. Gallery. Would that line you up across the top? I have David and I at the top, but Melanie, you're at the that's bottom. What, that's what mine is too. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> work that out because it would to me it would make a big difference if we could look like we're a force field of power looking into people's eyes. Oh, definitely. That's so true. So if people need coaching, charismatizing.com. They pay me by the hour through my website and we can, I promise I can empower everybody's persona, even the ultimate introvert. I can give them a temporary persona which will go out and sell for them. That's the ticket. People need that. Yeah, and then they can just retreat to their introspective selves, you know, later. But you gotta turn on your energy for that selling point. You know? Yeah way but in, in a heart-filled way mm -hmm. that's such that's a great so idea too because i'm sure so many people need help with that right now with the zooms and everything that's happening i'm working with two women in australia <laughs> one in melbourne and one in sydney who are in a very male-dominated agricultural real estate world and mm -hmm. they're trying to melt the glass ceilings inside themselves so it's not just the male-dominated thing that's around them that it's also there's a part of them that's collaborating with the patriarchal energy, mm -hmm. themselves down, not speaking loudly. Um, so they're learning to be more delicately aggressive so that they can get promotions that they deserve. Wow. And salaries. 
I love that. I love that you're helping them with that because some people really do need that. Oh, definitely. <clears throat> but Melanie, so we would love to hear about your book, Odd Woman Out. Is What can you tell us? What can you tell the listeners? Well, we're just building the Amazon.com site right now. It's called Odd Woman Out, Exposure in Essays and Stories. And it's stories throughout the 50 years of my most active acting life, behind the scenes and in front of the scenes in television and Broadway and off-Broadway. What it was like, you know, for us actors back then, we had the same turmoil actors have now, but it was in different kinds of rooms, different size rooms. And what it was like to go from that kind of audience, which would be like a thousand people in the audience, to a million people in the audience on television, and mm -hmm. how that phenomenon of so much incoming attention mm -hmm. changed your life. It definitely is an adjustment where suddenly you're not um, incognito on the street anymore. Your voice is recognized, your face is recognized, everything you do is memorized. Um, and also I had a lot of men interested in me. They wanted me to be the girl on the television show and have their babies, you know, but they, they still wanted me to be the girl on the television show and donate them their kidneys. I mean, they, I dated all kinds of different people and there's a lot of, you know, it's behind the scenes in theater and it's in front of the scenes with me trying to find a husband. And I finally found one very late. So it's got a happy ending. It's coming out just before Valentine's day, but you can buy it for pre-sale in advance. And I highly recommend the audible version. I've already performed it and uh, had it recorded and uh, it will be up in a month or two. But of course you can't get the tangible thing in your ear until February, February 2nd. My book actually comes out on Groundhog Day. Okay. okay. So I'm going to have a, a, a press collaboration with Tuscatani Phil. What's his name? Is you know, it Tuscatani? Tuscatani Phil. Tuscatani. Yeah, I think that's Try it. to do a, a, a cross promotion with him. Um, and <laughs> Very I, smart. I want to interview him and ask him, you know, with climate change, how have your signals been altered? You know, is winter still coming at the same time of year? And is it really called winter anymore if it's warm all the time and the, and the ice is melting? So I'm I hoping know. To do some kind of press thing. If you want to have me back with Phil. We'd know. love it. Oh my gosh. He's, he's a dream guest. He is our <laughs> dream guest. <laughs> Top of the list is Puxatani. Talk Phil. about the biggest stars of the 90s and the 2000s. <laughs> yes, yes. He's lost his head. No, we both need a little uh, PR, so. Oh, you guys can do it together. You'll blow the, you'll shut down the internet. You'll break it. <laughs> well, we cannot wait for the book. The book will be out and um, it's uh, a little racy, but I think you guys are mature enough to understand what's going on. There's no vulgarity in it. There's no um, raunchiness in it at all. It's very tasteful and elegant, which I personally tend to be. And um, it's called Odd Woman Out exposure in essays and stories. I'm telling things about myself that I've never told before. Mm. And um, in, they're funny and poignant. And I start from when I was like a child and desperate for attention, you know, desperate to cheer up my family who were carrying a hereditary Holocaust mentality from their, from their elders. They desperately needed to laugh. And so my sister and I, my sister Norma and I work very hard to distract them and make them laugh. And I think for me, it led to a career. For her, it led to uh, behind the scenes scene design and such. Oh, you know, nice. David, she was just interested in being a part of. And she's a wonderful, a very gifted scene designer. 
she's in New York, not working right now, of course, but mm. she's uh, really also a very strong creative force, but more introverted than me. I was the noisy one. It was very hard to be my kid sister. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> because I was born like with the top hat and the tails. <laughs> Is that something that's easy or difficult for you to be writing these stories and releasing them that, like you said, you've never told before? You know, it was good to get them out mm -hmm. and really look at them. I've been through a lot of experiences in my life that might have seemed tragic. But luckily, during them, I said, I know I'll find something funny about this later. And that's what the book is all about. Times of great heartbreak and tragedy. I was always thinking, I'll find something funny about this later. And it always helped me get through it. Mm -hmm. mm. And so a lot of my tra tragedies are in the book, but you'll find themselves, yourself laughing with me at them because I realized something was so mixed up in my thinking or my conclusions or the people I was involved with were so deceptive to themselves, you know? And it took mm -hmm. me, you would recognize it when you're reading the book, but it took me a very long time to realize that somebody who was hysterically funny was also kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. I just thought he was so funny. It didn't occur to me for a while until yeah. he tried yeah. to steal my in he tried to steal my stand-up act at the improv club in front of a big audience and I went oh he's nuts and he's getting dangerous and then I realized we had to break up <laughs> oh my god <laughs> probably a good call there were signs before that and I just was so in love I just didn't bother to pay attention so it's a cautionary tale for young women grace Oh no, it already, every, a few things that you just said already sounded relatable. I feel okay. like there are moments where I'm like, yep. When you said, like, I remember crazy things happening in life and saying to myself, am I being punked? Like, there's gotta be a camera around for just yeah. finding a way to laugh at it. Cause you just, you have to get through it somehow. And laughing is a great way to get through moments like that. Yes. You got to search for it while you're in it. Um, well, you're my target audience, Grace. I mean, you're the age group I want to appeal to because I hope I can save you some trouble along the way. Oh, well, I will. I can't wait to read it. And I will tell anybody that I know about it. I already can think Another of a few. Dog. I can already think of a few of my female friends that should read your book. <laughs> great, wonderful. I will send you uh, some information when we get, we get off the line so you can share it easily. Thank you so much. And I'll send you the book cover and some other press release stuff. Yes, Perfect. please do. Please All do. Right. All right. It was so nice to meet you. Stay well. Bye. Stay well. Bye. Bye. You guys, that was Dee Dee Pickles. Is everybody really taking that in? That was Dee Dee Pickles herself. There's one point that we need to clear up. Okay. Grace and I do know what Reptar on Ice is. Whenever she was talking about it, I had in my head, I was picturing like a live a live skating thing. I thought she meant she played that like in like a touring thing. I thought that as well. I almost asked her if she ice skates, but I, because won. I thought it was like a Disney on ice. I thought it was a live thing, but I totally remember the reptar and ice episode. Oh, I do too. I remember the song that she was singing. So about his wife. I remember that. I, we both got confused. We just needed everyone to know that we did know that. And I said I the wrong know. word during whenever I sang the Cynthia is a, the dancer song. Cynthia, I, she's a really cool dancer. Cynthia, uh, boogie I, to the groove now. I said, great dancer. I've never been more humiliated. It's okay. It's really okay. I mean, Cynthia is a great dancer. She is. She's a great dancer. Because how great was, was Melanie? Oh my gosh. We 
loved her. And the, I, the few moments that all of a sudden she would start talking like Dee Dee, I was like, my brain was freaking out because I know that my younger self would not be able to comprehend what was happening. Oh my gosh. If you guys want to, it's also, it was also so cool to see her and hear Dee Dee. If you, yes. go to our, if you go to our Instagram at BTTB podcast, we have a reel on our reels page um, and you can see her talk like Dee Dee. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how, I mean, obviously she's done it for so many years, but she just switches into it. Like yeah. she was doing it mid sentence and then she would just become Dee Dee and then she was not Dee Dee. But I also loved how she said as she's gotten older, she feels like she's morphing yeah. into Dee <laughs> And looking like her. <laughs> and she's starting to look like Dee Dee. Again, she just needs to style that. She needs to get like four or sorry, three little points around her hair and she'd really be her. Oh my gosh. And you guys, uh, we will post links to her book, Odd Woman Out. Yes. I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait. Obviously, you guys heard Melanie talk about it a bit. I really related to even the little bit that she shared with us. So I definitely think for this is a book for anybody, but she said her target audience is women. So ladies, get Melanie's book. And again, we will share it. We'll, can, we'll post everything once links are live. Yes. Oh my God. I cannot wait. I, can, I really can't wait. I, I think I'm going to listen to it. I think that's, I think the audiobooks, especially whenever it's like memoirs or biographies or whatever, I think it's so fun to hear the person read about their life in their own voice. Oh, I love it. And hey, she said she talks about her career. So if she mentions Dee Dee Pickles, maybe she does the voice in the book. She said she sings Who in knows? it too. I mean, she said our name as Dee Dee Pickles and we, that's all we need. We can die happy now. Honestly, (laughs) if you would have told us when we started this podcast two years ago that Dee Dee Pickles would have said our voice. And Melanie, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry we keep referring to you as Dee Dee Pickles. (laughs) (laughs) Melanie, yes, we know that you are Melanie and a part of you is Dee Dee. I think she'd be okay with us saying that, that Dee Dee is a part of her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was only years of her life. And then possibly the remake, she'll still be doing it. I know. Uh, I cannot wait to see the Rugrats now. Oh, I can't wait. I think, did she say they'll still be babies? She didn't say, but I'm assuming so. And based off of the IMDb, the picture is of them all as still babies. Yeah, I thought, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure they're probably still babies. Also, I was just talking about this with someone. Nickelodeon was always really good at diversity and like interracial relationships and friendships Mm -hmm. on their show growing up. So it's also really cool to hear that they're keeping that up now. Oh yeah. Like I'm sure Susie is still going to be there. Kimmy is still going to be there. Susie was, is a black girl in the show. Kimmy is Asian. Um, She said there's going to be a lesbian character. Oh, right. And there's going to be a lesbian character. I love it. I love it. I cannot wait to see it. And I think she said they're still kind of in the works for that. Yeah. So we'll have to wait in here. <laughs> Those dang NDAs. I know. I know the NDAs. But there's good things coming. We've got Melanie's book and a new Rugrats remake. What else can you ask for? And she does, she mentioned it in the interview, but she does have a YouTube page. Just go to YouTube and search Melanie Chartoff. And she does have some really fun clips. I was, I just went down a YouTube hole the other night and watched her clips from her sketch comedy and she had clips from when she was on Seinfeld and some Rugrats clips, of course, as well. She 
also mentioned she teaches. She actually helped David and I throughout the interview because you guys probably heard, she talks about how she helps people with on-camera confidence. And right now everything is over Zoom. So when she's teaching someone over Zoom, she teaches them to talk in, or sorry, to look into the lens instead of looking at the little box. It's so hard to do. It's so hard to do I, because you just, you, are, you want to look at somebody when you're talking to them. That's the, you know, respectful thing to do. But you actually, she even said, unless Apple decides to put the camera in the middle of the screen one day, yeah. it's on top of the screen. Because it's also, I was thinking about it because then I did a work Zoom uh, after our interview. And <laughs> I don't know why, I was just like looking into the camera but then I was like, okay, so if everybody's looking into the camera, then nobody's looking at the boxes. So what? It's interesting. <laughs> it's very interesting and very difficult, which is why Melanie teaches people how to do it. But it's called Charismatizing. And I think you can just go to charismatizing.com. Yeah. And she, that's yeah. her website. Or you can go to her website. It's just melaniechartoff.com. But she teaches classes on it if you are looking to get more comfortable looking into the camera because trust us it's not easy you need melanie she's gonna help you out you need melanie and go follow her on instagram it's just her name melanie chardoff and her, melanie we chardoff. her website is just melaniechardoff.com and again we will post the links to her book when it is out yes and you guys stay tuned next week we have another guest uh, what's the, what should we tease this time Ooh. okay it's, it's a show we've talked about before it's a show we've talked about before. Do we say that we're both watching it right now? Well, you just did. Is that too much, though? I don't think so. Let's just say I have some work to do this weekend to finish it before our interview. You know what, David? That's, I agree with what you said, because where you lead, I will follow. <laughs> if that doesn't get it. <laughs> That's all we're saying. That's all we're we saying. Know, guys, you know us. We hate we giving away. <laughs> that was just a little hint. Some people will get it. People that know it will get it. But we are very excited for you guys to listen to the episode. We will reveal the guest next Wednesday. So the day before the episode's out. And if you want to know where we're going to reveal it, on social media. Of you course. can go. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BTTB Podcast. We are on Facebook and TikTok at Back to the Best. We do have a YouTube. We haven't posted there in a while, but you can I go know, check it yeah. out. YouTube. Quarantine has not been helping our YouTube. YouTube.com slash Back to the Best. And you know what? Just a one-stop shop is our website, BTTBpodcast.com. Check it out. And if you are ever wondering about guests we've had on in the past, there's a little guest tab on our website. You can see a whole list of them. Of course, we're going to add Melanie to the list as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, follow us, tell your friends, tell your family, and we cannot wait for next week's episode. Yes, we are. I, we are definitely going to keep taking you back to the best. <laughs> definitely, definitely, definitely. Definitely. definitely <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> We're out of it. <laughs> okay, let's. Okay, where we okay. are gonna keep we're taking you back yeah. to the best. Definitely uh, back to the best. We're definitely gonna take you. Bye. Hate you. Bye.